0: Today, from the Global Lane, waiting for a truce. Endangered Gaza Christians in desperate need of help.
1: There is great need there for food, water, medications. Many of them could have left, but they say, look, this is our ancestral homeland. We've been here since antiquity, and we're not going to leave.
0: An expected Biden-Trump
2: rematch. What's the winning formula? the ruthless pounder offense. Everybody loves to fight. Are you one of the nuns?
0: A growing number of American adults choose no religion.
3: Denial of truth, the real erosion of churches, you know, preaching the word of God. The largest contributing factor is the breakdown of the family.
0: And the UK teacher who was fired for Facebook posts opposing gender bending books in her son's classroom. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. As the world's attention focuses on the Israel-Hamas war and the plight of the remaining hostages, our next guest is working to bring much-needed relief to suffering Gaza Christians. William Devlin is co-pastor of Infinity Bible Church in the South Bronx and CEO of the global nonprofit charities Redeem and Widow's Orphans. Pastor Devlin, it's good to talk with you again. So first, bring us up to date about Gaza Christians. How many remain in Gaza? What's their condition?
1: Yeah, thank you, Gary. Thank you, CBN. Love what you guys are doing. And the situation in Gaza is perilous. It's enormous. There are 1,000 Christians left in Gaza in a sea of 2.2 million Muslims. And these 1,000 Christians are now living 500 in the Greek Orthodox Church and 500 in the Roman Catholic Church. And they've been there since October 10th of 2023. So they're in their third month of sleeping in, on a church floor, sleeping outside in the courtyard. This is in northern Gaza, and uh, they are suffering. So myself and others are attempting to get food, cooking oil, flour, medications, and bottled water to them so we can alleviate some of their suffering. But it's been very, very difficult. And, you know, I've been to Gaza 33 times since 2010. Um, There's only two pastors that go into Gaza regularly. It's myself and another brother uh, from the U.S. And that really is criminal because the Christian church in the West, in America, has forgotten the church in Gaza. Y- you know, the Gazan Christians have been there since Philip uh, the Evangelist baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Where? In Gaza.
0: Yes, ma- many of them could have left, but they uh, preferred to stay in Gaza under those conditions, with uh, surrounded by over a million Muslims, uh, and they, they remain there. They want to be salt yes. and light. Uh, now, your most recent trip was last July, So what would a ceasefire now, everyone's talking about a ceasefire in exchange for hostages, what would that mean for the Christians there?
1: Well, uh, great question. I've been working with the Israeli Defense Force. I have many friends that are soldiers. So again, I'm one of those uh, weird people that I love Israel. I love the Gazan Christians uh, because they are not Hamas sympathizers. And and I think your viewers need to know that Hamas is a culture of death. Uh, They are all about death. So we're grateful that the Christians are there giving life. And you're correct. Many of them could have left, but they say, look, this is our ancestral homeland. We've been here since antiquity, and we're not going to leave. So over the years, many of them have gone to the West Bank, they've gone to Jordan. Uh, They've gone to uh, the United States, other uh, Western countries. And yet those 1,000 that are there, 500 in the Orthodox Church, 500 in the Catholic Church, there is great need there for food, water, medications. And so I'm in contact with the Israeli army every day saying, look, when can I go in? So the ceasefire would allow myself and my team there in Israel in order to put food, water, medications on a truck and get it into Northern Gaza. Uh, Most of Northern Gaza is now completely destroyed along with many of the homes of the Christians. But if a ceasefire comes and we pray for that, that we will have the ability then to load these goods on a truck and go through uh, Israel, the Eretz crossing, which is the Northern border between Israel and Gaza And then just about 10 miles in, there are the two churches, the Orthodox and the Catholic Church, and we'll be able to bring them these needed supplies, this food, this water, and bring it in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior and Messiah.
0: I can't let you go without asking you about reports that we've heard that people of Gaza are experiencing visions and dreams of Jesus. So what have you learned about the spiritual state of the people of Gaza? What's happening?
1: Well, I think in the midst of their travail, Uh, The Lord Jesus is appearing to the Muslims there, and we pray that our Lord would continue to do that. And uh, again, I I call your viewers uh, to pray for many Muslims to come to faith in Jesus. That's their only hope, and I've said that publicly many times in the 13 years I've been going to Gaza. I've said it directly to Hamas. When I go to Gaza, I do meet with Hamas. And... So, I say that to the Muslims, I say that to Hamas, and I say to the people of Gaza your only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that God would continue to reveal himself through his son in dreams, in visions, and manifestations in order to bring all of Gaza to faith in Jesus Christ. And remember, if you want to go with me, uh, you want to pray. Uh, you want to invest in these Gazan Christians, you can go to widowsandorphans.info. And thank you so much, Gary and CBN, for having me on today to talk about the plight of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, these are God's sons and daughters in Gaza. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. So remember to pray, remember to fast, remember to give, and remember to go, right? God wants us to go. That's Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen. That's, thank you.
0: That's right. It's, it's not either or. It's both, right? Love the yes. Israelis. Love the Palestinians and the Gaza Christians. Okay. Faith in Action. Pastor William Devlin, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. God bless you. bless. Recent polls show Donald Trump with a commanding lead over Nikki Haley in the upcoming South Carolina Republican primary. If the lead holds, it means a rematch is likely this November between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. So what must the former president and the incumbent do if each hopes to win? Well, joining us from Zurich, Switzerland, is Luis Perón. He's a political scientist and consultant. His book is Beat the Incumbent proven strategies and tactics to win elections. So, Dr. Perone, thank you for being with us. You often talk about the four M's of winning political campaigns, the message, media, money, and make no mistake. So most fascinating, I think, is the message. It seems our political campaigns are now more about discrediting the opponent than telling voters what the candidate would do once in office. So what do you think of those campaign tactics?
2: I'm afraid uh, they work and they work for a series of reasons. Number one, the U.S. is a quite classic two-party system. So there are only two ways to show contrast. Second, the U.S. is a culture where um, you guys are pretty straightforward. Uh, It's said that everybody loves a fight. And thirdly, and that's a piece I wrote about in uh, Real Fair Politics, we have a, a special situation here that the two candidates both are quite disliked. I mean, they're the so-called double haters, people who disapprove and disagree with both of them, and they are most likely to decide the election. Well,
0: what works with voters? Can a candidate explain their vision, their platform, and a short tweet or a 30-second ad?
2: Well, I would say you can express part of that in a tweet. I think the key is to have a message. And a message, of course, is more than a tweet or a slogan, but it's less than the party platform. A message is a narrative, is a coherent reason why vote for you and not one of the other guys or the other guy.
0: Okay, so what advice would you give Nikki Haley if she is trounced by Trump in South Carolina, her home state? where she was governor.
2: Well, um, I think for Nikki Haley, time is uh, sort of running out, no? I mean, New Hampshire was probably her best chance. Um, now, we have a very special situation with uh, Trump, a candidate who has a legal problem, who has uh, also advanced age, and I think it's part of the reason why she may continue this. But, it, I mean, on the normal circumstances, uh, I don't see much of a pathway. Uh, In particular, the Republican Party has never been very open to challengers and outsiders, so I'm afraid uh, she's running out of time. Unless a miracle happens, I think it will be the rematch of uh, Trump versus Biden.
0: Yeah, that's what I think everyone's thinking at this point. And West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, of course, he's considering a third-party run. He says he'll decide after the Super Tuesday primaries in March. So what would that accomplish if he jumps in third-party candidates don't usually win here in america
2: they don't usually win again i think the u.s is a very classic example of a two-party system and i think if i would see a perspective for a third party candidate i think it would have to be somebody different from joe manchin it would i mean joe manchin was a Democrat, has been in Washington DC for decades. I think if there is a perspective for a third party candidate, it has to be somebody uh, who really is an outsider, who is coming from the outside of the system and can really claim change in a very credible and new way. The way I describe people in my book, for example, I mean, Zelensky from Ukraine was a comedian. Uh, a very famous, a very uh, successful comedian. And the first office he ever ran for was uh, the presidency of Ukraine. So he was a very credible messenger, not only to vote for change, but to get rid of the entire political class.
0: And that's uh, that's Trump's appeal, even despite all his legal problems. That's why he's still popular. Uh, So what advice do you have for the incumbent Joe Biden? How does he overcome concerns about his age? And what advice for Donald Trump?
2: I think uh, for Biden, um, he clearly is a vulnerable incumbent. So. First of all, you have to be honest about this. I don't think you can plan a comeback in denial. So you have to be honest. And the age obviously is something he has to deal with. Um, Just saying that he has proven himself, it's not gonna cut the deal. After the convention, there's really just one uh, tactic left for somebody like Biden, a vulnerable incumbent, and that's the ruthless counter offense. That's the way how Barack Obama won re-election. It's the way George Bush won the re-election by basically just destroying the challenger. I think Trump, in a certain way, must um, reinvent himself a bit. Uh, I think it cannot be the same, just a rerun from the previous campaign. I think he has to deal, obviously, with issues such as January 6th. Uh, there has to be... Uh, and uh, there has to be an explanation for swing voters. No, in other words, there has to be an outreach to swing voters.
0: It's always the middle, isn't it? Always about the middle. Okay. The book is Beat the Incumbent, Proven Strategies and Tactics to Win Elections. Dr. Louis Peron, thank you for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Shocking rise
0: of the nuns. More American adults are responding nothing in particular when asked about their religious affiliation. According to Pew Research, the nuns are now the largest group at 28%. 23% of American adults identify as Catholics, 24% as evangelical Protestants. Well, here to provide some insights on why this is happening is Christian youth, religion, and culture analyst Alex McFarlane. Alex, always good to have you with us. So, why are we seeing this alarming growth of religious unaffiliation in American culture?
3: Well, thank you very much for having me, me on. It's always interesting and rewarding when you and I are able to converse. But yes, I mean, we're seeing the most recent numbers in trends that have been working for a couple of decades. And there there are a number of factors, just uh, the denial of truth, the real erosion of churches, you know, preaching the Word of God, black and white, uh, sin, redemption, repentance, righteousness, but really the largest contributing factor to the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, when asked what what religion or what, what God do you believe in, the answer is none, N-O-N-E-S. The largest contributing factor is the breakdown of the family
0: what does this say about the current state of American churches? Is the church affecting the culture or the culture of the church?
3: Well, at this point, unfortunately, the culture is much more steering the church than the church steering the culture, which is not what Christ intended. Uh, You know, in uh, Matthew uh, 25 and other scriptures, you know, Jesus talked about us being salt and light, and uh, you don't put light under a a basket to hide it. You let the light illuminate the landscape. But here's the thing. In the home, within the context of family, we learn accountability. We learn punishment, reward, grace, uh, accountability, but we also learn structure. And nuns, I find this in so many uh, with middle school, high school, uh, colleges. I'm on a speaking tour of universities right now and then, of course, every summer for 20 years, we've done youth camps. Um, and the, the website of our youth camps, by the way, is equipretreat.org. But young people, they might say, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. And they do think about God, and they're very open to the gospel, obviously. But here's the thing. Um, the majority of young people nowadays, 60% and and higher, have never lived under the same roof with mom and dad, their biological mother and father. And the conventional wisdom is that the culture became liberal and then the family broke down. But in reality, 55 to 60 years of data show this, that as the family broke down, um, that's when it opened the door for the embrace of liberal ideas and, frankly, secular ideas If you want to restore Christianity, which is the key to restoring America, we need to become a champion for the family. And by family, what I mean is the the family structure that God initiated and ordained, a husband and a wife for a lifetime, a mother and a father raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As goes the family, so goes the church, and as goes the church, so goes the nation.
0: Well, Alex, many of our viewers would find the growth of the nuns then, those saying they have no religious affiliation, is an alarming trend. So what should the church be doing about it?
3: Well, you know, the church has an opportunity here, really. And number one, and I know this might sound simplistic, but number one, we need to pray. We really need to pray for the restoration of the family, the restoration of the church, the restoration of this generation of young people, and ultimately, For God to sweep across this nation, we need a Holy Spirit revival, and uh, conviction of sin, and accountability before God. But what I think we also need to do in the church is build relationships. I mean, young people—they they they need the Lord Jesus. They need a moral compass. They need uh, to feel like they have purpose, because there is a, a sense among a lot of young people of kind of resignation. And this is, you know, we only go downhill from here. No, one thing we can do, those of us that are older, I mean, I'm 59. I speak to teenagers literally every week of the year, Um, mentoring, coming alongside, teaching life skills. And as there is this trust, honesty, respect, there's the opportunity to talk about the gospel and life's most important consideration a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have a great opportunity, but it's going to take some strategy, some commitment, some prayer, and a genuine realization that um, the Great Commission is possible. I mean, we can participate in evangelizing the lost and equipping the saved, but it can't just be business as usual. The The assumption, you know, if the doors are open, they will come. No, We've got to build bridges and get involved in the lives of young people because uh, there's, there's a family and a structure of community that the majority of young people just don't have and don't know. So we've got to be proactive.
0: Alex McFarland, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. We appreciate it. God bless you.
3: God bless you, my friend.
0: In the United Kingdom, the Court of Appeal is set to hear the case of a Christian school assistant who was fired from her job for sharing anti-transgender views on Facebook. In October 2018, Christy Higgs expressed concern that her child's Church of England school was planning to introduce a series of books to students such as My Princess Boy and 10,000 Dresses. She encouraged people to sign a petition opposing government plans to mandate materials in schools that advocate gender confusion among students. She posted a second time, sharing an article about the rise of transgender ideology in children's books. A Facebook friend complained to the school about Higgs's post, describing her as homophobic and transphobic. Higgs was suspended and eventually dismissed.
3: You know that I was discriminated for my Christian beliefs and that um, I was just sharing my concerns um, of what's coming into the schools and what was coming into my son's school.
0: Although her employer was not mentioned, an employment tribunal rejected the argument that Higgs was only sharing her Christian views on a personal Facebook page. Tribunal members argued the issue concerned the way in which she shared her views. Christian concerns Andrea Williams as the lawyer representing Higgs.
1: No evidence was presented that anyone was harmed there was no evidence that the school was brought into disrepute or that anyone was upset apart from this one anonymous complainant who was her friend that no pupil had complained no one knew about it she was well loved in that school the students loved her she loved her work
0: folks this is a grave miscarriage of justice The appeal court needs to resolve this matter quickly. More than five years have transpired since that Facebook post. Christy Higgs deserves to be reinstated with back pay. Free nations cannot allow people to be fired for sharing their religious views online, no matter who may be offended. Higgs was not hateful. She only expressed her Christian views. Higgs says in both the UK and the United States, parents are now more aware of what students are taught. They're starting to stand against materials that are harming the innocent minds of young children.
3: It's so important to come against this because if you add a little leaven, then it leavens up the whole lump and it's very, very serious.
0: Of course, the Higgs reference is to the Apostle Paul's letter to Galatians. The New Living Translation says it best. Galatians 5.9 says, This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. So let's protect our kids, resist false teaching, and speak up to keep the yeast from spreading and infiltrating the impressionable minds of our children. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Rumble, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.